there's a song that I hadn't heard before. This is not the Deuteronomy 14 song, although that is delightful. Um, this is something written by uh, Isaac Watts. It's definitely not new. It's from the 1700s. Um, this is also the gentleman who wrote When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and some song called Joy to the World, if you've ever heard of that. Um, and this is called Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for sins that I have done he suffered on the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When Christ the great Redeemer died for man the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face when his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of tears can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so. We thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness and obedience to become what we could never attain. We thank you. We ask that as we study your word, that while there is much to learn and to put into our heads, that it would not distract us from the reality of what you've done, that our intellect and our mind would not get in the way of worship, but that it would contribute. We pray that we would see your heart. We would see not text on a page, but we would see the heart of our God revealed to us in your name. Amen. So I've tried to, Gwen and Israel, uh, <laughs> I've tried to write big enough. I know it's small back there. So again, we're going to start from John, and we're going to go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so for context, we've looked at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus cursing the fig tree. That's gonna, the fig tree is going to make a cameo reappearance. Uh, the second cleansing of the temple, Jesus teaching the Greek Jews about the kernel of wheat that must die before it can grow and produce seeds. They didn't understand that section about who is the Son of Man because they couldn't reconcile the Christ will remain forever with the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus' response to them was, y'all need to trust and believe. Um, so we're going to start and we're going to read from John 12, verse 37. But though he had performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet when he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And whom has the arm of the Lord, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah, Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. That is an incredible statement because Isaiah chapter 6 that's being quoted here, this is written about 739 BC. So this is like seven centuries before Jesus is standing and teaching here that Isaiah has this understanding. And that's not a testament to Isaiah's ability, but that's a testament to God's ability to reveal. And so if you are ignorant, rejoice. Maybe you're fulfilling a prophecy. <laughs> That's some consolation to me for some of the things that I don't understand in life. Um, but again, just what, a, what an incredible thing. And I think a lot of it is so that those that had been with Jesus, that had heard this message 
prior to his death and resurrection, there would be no basis on them taking credit for anything, on saying like, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I figured it out. No, you didn't. <laughs> you definitely didn't. So from here, um, in John, uh, we ended in verse 41. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogues, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And so here, I think this is this situational comedy because it feels like Jesus speaks to one group. They come to him. He asks them questions. He speaks to them, and they don't understand. But then there's another group that does hear, and then they are blessed, and they receive the revelation. And that group is impacted by what Jesus says, but they're on the periphery. So it seems like you've got this constant like shifting. Um, but again, just the, the message of God, though it is spoken in one direction, that's not the only person who can receive it. Um, Somebody used to say when Major Thomas came um, and spoke when there were children, what the Major would do intentionally is he would, he would say something because parents would bring their children, you know, listen to this godly man and the wisdom that he has. And the Major would speak to these kids, but what he was doing, he was looking at the kids and he was telling them about Jesus as a way of getting the parents to listen. Um, which now being a parent, I'm like, yeah, I get that. There is so much where the things that... I think as I was growing up, I may not have enjoyed going to the zoo as much. But now when I take my kids to the zoo, there is an experience that I share because they're, they're taking things in. And I'm able to enjoy like the same tiger or rhinoceros or whatever. But for me, it's because of this experience with my children that I'm like, this is the coolest rhinoceros ever. And look, look, it's eating. Look, it's eating. It's like, yes, yes, we see this. Um, and I think this is some of what's going on, where you have these people who are on the sidelines, and they're basically, they're almost like caught in the followed blast. Um, and maybe it's because they're not specifically being looked at and directly addressed that their heart is more open. But I think it's very, very interesting that it says, um, at the same time, many of the leaders, so we're talking about the, um, among the chief priests and the elders, that they are believing, but it says, because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear of being put out of the synagogue. And it, it reminds me of Jesus' words from um, Matthew 18, when he says, um, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as, a child, as this child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That you have these leaders. Again, and in this, this setting, I think this is what is... It pulls away so much of the pretentiousness, I think, of being an adult and saying tax exemption and saying, you know, complicated words. You have grown men who are afraid of other grown men because they'll say, I don't like you and you can't come to my party. It's, it's not that insignificant, but they believe, but they are, because of the, because of the social setting, they are unwilling to admit that they believe out of fear. And again, that, just that, that condemnation that would rest on the Pharisees, 
that in their zeal and in their desire to be and to teach, no pressure on me, that, um, that they would be preventing and they would be a hindrance to people coming to know the Lord. So that's to the Pharisees. But then again, at the end here, you've got verse forty-three. They would not confess for fear of being put out of the synagogues. Verse forty-three: For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. I think they is referring to the Pharisees loving the, the praise of men more than the praise of God. But I think it's even these rulers here that they have believed, yet they will not confess. And I think that's, um, that's important to remember. That's an explanation, but not an excuse for believers. That as we have friends that we share the gospel with, that we, that we share with, um, the various settings that they may return to at home or at work, that it may be that their reason for, for not living out the life they have is because they're intimidated and they're uncomfortable of living that out, which is a great understanding of your own inability if you have that fear. But don't end there. If you, if you have that, if you share that, and I've had that at work because there's a bunch of unbelievers and they tout all kinds of insanity is like, well, shouldn't we be proud that these things are happening? And in my mind, I'm like, no, we shouldn't. When you're faced with that, right? And there is, I think appropriately, an embarrassment of like, I, who am I that I'm not living these things out? These are the people that need to hear this. Recognize that you are being confronted with your own weakness. But when you are weak, he is strong. And it is not about feeling competent that we step forward, but it's about praying and it's about allowing the Lord to give us the words at the right time that someone needs to hear. And if we think they're stupid, but they're from him, then doesn't matter what we think about those words. We, we share those in faith and we allow the spirit to do the rest. Because certainly um, there was an impact to these believers, um, not the least of the, the location where, where Jesus was buried. But we'll get to that later on. Um, I'm crooning over my notes here as I try to read my very, very small handwriting in my margins. Um, Okay, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. This is something, the the light and the darkness is also the response when there was confusion about, well, then who is the son of man? Because you're saying he's going to die, but the Christ has remained. He also said, while you have the light, believe in the light. And he's using that imagery again. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my saying has one who judges him. And the word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to, what, as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And so in the middle of this, which I think is a really, really clear statement, 
is this addressing a, a baseless, amorphic, kind of nothing faith in faith, where Jesus says, um, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Well, what words? You've spoken lots of words. Many of them are just repetitions of the same thing. But I think the, the most simple one is that when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but also in the one who sent me. And that rejection of, of Jesus, right? And there are so many who will say, well, you know, we can, leave, we can believe in God, but Jesus is a little bit too specific and a little bit too marginalizing and a little bit too exclusive. So let's just believe in God. God himself has said that if you do not believe in Jesus, you are not believing in him. And if you don't like that connection, then your argument is with God and you need him to rewind existence and change absolutely everything. But this is where our, I think our, our modern sensibility and, and democratic mindset, when we try to approach God in that same way and say like, listen, God, we don't like the following things and so we're gonna ask you to repeal your scripture. It's this case of God looking at us going, you are absolutely insane. This is not how I've created the world. This is not how the order of existence works. It responds to me because I am. If you are intimidated about going to Pharaoh, say that I am has sent you. And as we are obedient, and this is important because as believers, sometimes the obedience seems really trivial and really small. But to recognize that what is being asked is less important than who is the one who is doing the asking. And here it's Jesus himself asking them to believe. And from verse 37 earlier, right, they were having difficulty believing. And though he performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, or they kept not believing in him. Um, and I think that's also to, to call out this um, great point from the rich man in Lazarus that um, Jesus brings up in Luke 16, where the rich man says, like, well, at least send Lazarus back, and then, you know, when they hear how things are going, then they'll believe. And he says, if they haven't believed all these prophets and all the messages that I've sent, they will not believe if the dead are raised. And I think that's this claim that like, well, once there's enough observable material, then I'll be convinced. And you've got people like Sir David Attenborough, like, why don't you believe in God? Well, there's not enough evidence. Okay, well, maybe, maybe sir, you should get out more. Maybe you should travel the world and see some of his creation, which you've been doing for how many decades? But apparently you missed some things. I think it's important to recognize that so much of our stubbornness, it requires the Holy Spirit and it requires our own humility to receive and to be corrected and to be taught. And um, the, the argument that um, a certain amount of intellectual material will cause a change, I think it's, it's more that we need to recognize that the Lord uses those things, but it's still the Holy Spirit that reaches out to our hearts and actually makes these connections for us that we understand. So that from first to last, we are completely indebted to him for any learning that we ever received to begin with, any growth that happens, and any victories that we experience. They are completely a work of his. And he also intended it to be that way, that we would remain children of God, that we would never become the adults of God that go and get our own apartment and are no longer dependent. That his desire is that we would remain dependent, that we would continue to trust. Any questions or comments? Uh, just as you were talking about, you know, there's a lot of people that 
that study God's creation in many ways and mm -hmm. never see God. Actually, I, let me amend that. They see God, they don't want to see God, so they refuse to see God. Yeah. So it's not a matter of, you know, I've, I've seen all these things, but I've never seen God. I don't want God, so I'm refusing to see God in these things. Yeah. Yeah, oftentimes there's a choice that precedes everything else, that we make a choice for or against God, and then we arrange things to support that choice. Some of those may be complete lies. Some of those may be absolutely true and bound in Scripture. But so often our choice precedes. And the, 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 the genesis, the, the source of making a correct choice really does come back to the Holy Spirit. I, I, think, that's the, I think that's what John 3.19 says when it says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because of the deeds were evil. Yeah. So I think that the things, I think that there is a thing inside of man that doesn't want to admit that man is insufficient, right? Yeah. And wants to protect the man. Yeah. I, I call that thing the behemoth, right? Yeah. That's the thing that's created in us that only God can defeat. It's yeah. this, this will to be righteous in ourselves. Yeah. And I think that darkness prefers to live there in the river, you know, even though the, the water is rising. Mm -hmm. prefers to live there rather than to admit that, that they're not good enough. Yeah, and it's when we're children, usually we don't remember what we were like. But when I look at my own kids, it's adorable, right? Because it's like, no, I do it. No, I do it. And you're like, it's okay, fine. Go, go ahead and try. I'll, in a minute, I'll tie your laces for you when you're frustrated and you just <laughs> we want to give up. That's fine. But there are so many ways that like that sense of willfulness continues on into adulthood. And um, I have to be so careful with my boys because some of them, when they're thwarted, um, Idris in particular, and he's gotten much better, but when he is thwarted, it's like, I want things this way. It's like, we're going to deviate slightly. No, that's it. Burn the fields. We're done here. Oh, well, it, it's not that big of a deal. Like, yeah, we can, we can read that book first. No, I don't know what that book is. I've never heard of it, and I don't want to hear it. And it's just this, like, this... This aggressive rebellion that's so rooted in my way because my way has wisdom and don't attack my way. It is good because I say so and I wish it. And um, not that I'm a nerd at all, but there's an, there's an incredible um, way that like some of those things in an individual person's life, it's just, all right, look, the Lord's going to speak to you and he's going to work you through this. But sometimes you see that manifested in national leaders. And I'm going to try to go through this really quickly and then return to our text. There's a section in um, history where the czar of Russia accidentally gets into a war with Japan. And it comes down to they send emissaries and diplomats. And basically, Russia never responds because they kind of forget about like, oh yeah, the Japanese are waiting. And so Japan assumes that they're actually like stalling for time to attack. And then they basically declare this preemptive attack. And Tsar Nicholas is surprised because war has been declared, but he did not wish it. And it's this, this pompous arrogance of like, things will happen the way that I want. Well, why? Didn't you hear? It's because I want it that way. It, we're done. I have spoken. And it's that, that attitude is, is elevating mankind to the position of God, of saying, my word has power, and this is how it will be. 
which, segue, um, continuing on in Mark 11, reading from verse 19. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you have cursed was, has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you pray, stand and hold. Um, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. There's the whole name it and claim it or blab it and grab it uh, movements verse that's down here. But before that, right, like there's, there's so much of trying to address um, authority and um, why does Jesus have the right to say this? When you, when you look at the section, right, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. Okay, well, he's Jesus. And then Peter's surprised that the fig tree has withered. Why is he surprised? Jesus said it. No, 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 no. Like, rewind. Why is Peter surprised? And the answer is, what does it take to cause something to die by saying, I curse you? And that's it. Thankfully, I believe most of us don't have this power because rush hour traffic would be a bit of a catastrophe. It takes complete and total authority for creation to respond to a spoken word. And that is what is being shown here. If it's that easy for God to do these things, then what does that tell us about his patience and his forbearance? That he has the ability to speak and to change things at any given moment. But why doesn't he? And I think that's oftentimes the, the contrast that is supposed to be there when we look at how things are going and how we can objectively be like, this is wrong. It's not different. This is wrong. And then why doesn't he change those things? Well, I know that he is able to, but so often we miss the actual expression of his power because in Scripture, you see these, and, I, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but you often see the, this pattern of there is a promise spoken. This is how things will be. And then there's a reversal in circumstances where you look at, well, this is what God said, but based on what I see, it's now impossible. And oftentimes as believers, we have this response of like, I got to fix it. Because what if now God can't do this? I got to make sure that God is able to keep his promise there is, a, there is a place for responding in righteousness and responding in truth. But there is also a place where the Lord allows things to become not difficult because that's too easy then for us. But he allows things to become completely impossible so that when his promise is revealed and carried through, we again don't have the ability to be like, oh, yeah, well, I, I actually helped a little bit there. I caused the impossible. That's what we see so often. Why in the world was it necessary for them to go to Egypt and be slaves? Because slaves don't free themselves like that when they're untrained and, and incompetent and being pursued by an army and they're about to drown and their, their greatest skill set is making brick and they have no material or infrastructure with which to make brick or time. 
and then God appears in a pillar of nuclear fire. Oh, did the slaves cause that? No, absolutely not. Did the slaves make sure that the water would be separated and they could walk on dry land? No, but the impossibility was there and it was significant and it was valuable because it was a, it was a means of communicating the greatness of God. That if this is the promise and there's an impossibility which negates the promise, but the promise happens anyway, that is a, that is a means for him for expanding our understanding of what does it mean that he can do all things. Because we've got a range of experiences and we kind of frame out and we mark out mentally like God's really, really big. But then that continues to grow constantly through life. And it's oftentimes when what we think is possible is encroached on. That's where he, he does the most work. I'm preaching my own funeral because my kids are getting older and I'm going to have to trust them really, really soon to appropriate their own faith. But I'm not stressed. They're not stressed. They'll do fine. They'll do fine. Right? I have to completely let go of that. And I have to trust that the things that he put on my heart to teach them, it was the right thing. And that he will continue to guide them and he will continue to grow them. But what if they can be really stupid because goodness knows I am? It, that's fine. That's just an impossibility that the Lord will, he's going to have to overcome that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I may take this on. I don't believe it. I, I, so the whole context of this whole section is about Jesus coming down and basically defeating the power of man mm -hmm. that had abused God's intent for them to be a light. A, which was supposed to be a house of prayer. Yeah. They had made it the opposite. Mm -hmm. They had made it a, a mountain of accomplishment. Yeah, right. Very a much so. Accomplishment, right? And so I see this cursing of the fig tree as representative, personally, of of God coming down and taking the power away from Israel, and for a time turning it over to the Gentiles, so that He could bring about His kingdom, His true mountain. Yeah, so turning, over this, the, turning over the, the function, yeah, the but not the position. Israel, the, the, yeah. the fig tree is representative of Israel. Israel's being removed for a time. The church comes in uh, and is the witness, and maybe I'm going way off. But is that replacement theology? No, it's not replacement <laughs> theology at all. No. no, it's that God's overall plan is to save all people through his chosen seed. Yeah. Right? And in order to do that, Israel had to be hardened for a time. It's Romans 9. It's not that it's not replacement theology at all. It's God's overall plan of saving all people through his son. Not through human accomplishment, but through him. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I see this being this representative point in time where he's saying, like, things are I'm gonna I'm gonna flip things. And then the explanation is to it seems to me like he's saying, have, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, you know, and believes, and it's God's will that mm -hmm. this mountain move, it will be moved. And that's the which important part. Explains, which then explains the, the section about forgiveness. And when, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive it. It's a recognition. Yeah. Pray with God, which we often I'm, I'm often, you know, 
uh, I often pray for my own will, right? And and uh, that, that that pray that God would forgive you, uh, and that you would forgive others, be, knowing that God orchestrates circumstances. I guess I don't know. I no, and I agree, and I think there there is that the place from Philippians: be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god so there is that command to pray but there is that danger of us saying like this is you you have to do this i'm telling you god because i know how it needs to be rather than saying this is what my prayer is but nevertheless not my will but yours be done lord this is what i'm bringing to you but ultimately amen to your will and i think this section here, this is classically abused at whatever you want. I do wonder, as I was reading this, I'm like, I, I, it just occurred to me, I wonder over the centuries how many people have directly traveled to Israel and then basically stood at the Mount of Olives and been like, okay, okay, here we go. All right, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I got to show that I believe. I have to show it. Here we go. Okay, God, mountain, you got to throw yourself into the sea now. Yeah. And then just nothing. And then walking away crushed, I'm like, man, I don't have faith. And to understand that it's, it is that our prayer would be in response to the prompting of the Father's voice and in, in agreement with Scripture, that we... The problem comes when the believing is not in the person in, of Jesus, but it's believing in believage that you can get very abstract and have faith in faith, but that is different from what, Jesus, um, from what Jesus did. His prayer and request in his greatest need was not my will, but yours be done, Father. It is, this is at odds with the circumstances, and it's at odds with what the circumstances suggest should be actually done and how we should pray. I... Um, I recently, last Monday, I took our uh, calf in to be butchered, and um, that was a great adventure um, because I found myself on my own in the dark trying to convince a thousand-pound animal to go into a small box with wheels. And um, thankfully, he was halter broken, and so I managed to get him in there because the Lord was with me, because it was... um, I should have filmed it and put it to yakety sacks, and I could have made some amazing YouTube money slipping and sliding around in that trailer trying to get him in and trying not to be crushed. So we're transporting this massive animal uh, to Johnson City, and um, if you've never transported animals long distances, um, they don't have manners. They don't say, I I won't need you to pull over. I have to go to the bathroom. They merely go. Um, we've only had this trailer for about three weeks. And so what we also did is we put it into the field because we also have sheep and catching sheep in order to take them to market is exhausting because they're not smart, but oh my goodness, can they run? And, um, somebody gave us the idea like, Hey, when you put up the sheep at night, just dump some feed in the trailer and walk away and they'll hop in. And then whenever you need to, you dump the feed in, they hop in, you close the door. And it worked. And I caught 14 sheep in like three seconds. So before we moved this bull, we also moved these sheep. And they had left some gifts there. 
and the previous owner had used this trailer to move hogs. So by the time we were done and got back, this trailer was frightful inside. It was, it was terrifying. Um, so I knew that before I set it back out, it needed to be cleaned. And I got out the pressure washer. Um, I'm not sure if you know what happens when you use a stream of water in a partially enclosed space. Um, so I accidentally created this vortex. And um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with snow globes, you know, like a little, and you shake it. So I found myself in this snow globe of animal feces. And um, to say the least, this is not a situation that I would have prayed myself into. I would not have said, Lord, this is what I want to be covered in. But it was something that by his grace, I kid you not, I was able, because, and thankfully, I have a, a plumber friend. One of the most important lessons he taught me was keep your lips closed. <laughs> and um, so I remember that before I went into it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm spraying things out and I get into the corner, whoosh, just all over me. And, and the first thing that I thought was, well, amen, Lord, I, amen. And it was because I had, I had seen him all through the whole process, the, the, the ability to raise this animal, to actually get it to a place. And it was something where I understood, like, no, this is not what I want, but this is the extension of that. And there is a blessing in that moment. And what is this amazing blessing? It's humiliation. It's being humbled. And that is something that I want to receive not because I'm so desperate to look ridiculous or be covered in filth, but simply like if that is what the Lord has for me, I want to receive it not because of what the situation and the circumstance and the experience is. I want to receive it because of who it's coming from. And that is something that in this next section here, that blessing is what is being rejected. So in Mark, Matthew, Luke, no, um, Mark eleven twenty seven. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So what this setup is, these are men who are in a position of authority and of power, but they have the ability to say how things are going to be because... 
because their authority is derived from the rabbi that they studied under. And that rabbi, in turn, had his authority from another rabbi, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the road. So this is the, uh, the commentary, which I really like just how it, it kind of clarifies it. For there was no principle more firmly established by universal consent than that authority, authoritative teaching required previous authorization. Indeed, this logically followed from the principle of rabbinism. Rabbinism? Rabbinism? All teaching must be authoritative, authoritative, since it was traditional, approved by authority, and handed down from teacher to disciple. The highest honor of a scholar was that he was like a well-plastered cistern from which not a drop had leaked of what had been poured into it. The ultimate appeal in cases of discussion was always some great authority, whether an individual teacher or decree by the Sanhedrin. In this manner, the great Halil first vindicated his claim to be the teacher of his time and to decide the disputes then pending. And to decide differently from authority was either the mark of ignorant assumption or the outcome of daring rebellion, in either case to be visited with the ban. So the reason that they're coming to him is it is a trap to establish formally they're trying to go through the same procedure that you would go through with any kind of rabbinical tradition and teaching. They're trying to establish and formally document Jesus' teaching as unacceptable. Not that what he was saying was wrong, but it's unacceptable based on the fact that he did not have a recognized rabbi who had imparted authority to him. That's the whole reason why they're coming to him. Jesus knows this. And that's why he says, I am happy to answer that question. Here's the question that you need to answer first. John's baptism. Explain. Go ahead. Jesus is asking them to commit themselves on the question of John's authority. That's what he's saying with this baptism. By what right did John have to do, uh, by what authority did John have the right to, to do the, perform this baptism? Um, because the authority of John is the same as the authority of Jesus. And this is, this is what he is pointing out to them. And it's not that it has them completely stumped, because they know the answer at this point. And then they begin debating, because they are not trying to speak truth. They are trying to play their game they're trying to continue within the confines of the rules that they have created themselves, that they have been taught and raised to follow, so that they might perpetuate this meritocracy that I'm in charge because I've earned it. I'm allowed to tell you how things are going because I've earned it. My activity is why I have the right to do these things. My teaching is something that I have studied hard and I'm right because that person says I'm right, and then somebody's before them, and I can basically track it back. This is also why showing the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew is a very, very big deal, because it is a way of um, addressing the fact that you, you are not allowed to say, well, he can't be the Messiah, he cannot be the Christ, because he's ineligible. He's completely eligible, according to his own word. So from here, it's, this is the game that they then play. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe in him? 
which I think it's amazing that they understand the implications of all this. But if we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So here, their desire, you can clearly see their desire is to say, John's baptism was for men, and now your answer, we're also going to then imply that your authority is also for men, and therefore you have no authority, and therefore you need to be banned from the temple because we have the right to do so. But because of their clever, clever ruse and where they've positioned themselves, where they have tried to trap him before the crowds, now those crowds are their own trap because they cannot speak the things that they desire to. And so they come up with a third option, which is not true. We don't know. And it is, it is simply saying, I, I, I don't want to answer your question. I, I don't feel like it. And Jesus responds and says, I don't feel like it either. Because all of the signs are there. There is no reason that why, why answering this specific question is the linchpin that was just missed. And if only Jesus had answered, he has gone not only his whole life, but he has gone all of history by setting up and by showing and by setting the stage for these moments. So there is not actually anything lost. That uh, there, there is no opportunity taken away because we can see how, where these people's hearts were already at at this time. And I think it's, it's an amazing thing that um, there, are, there are lyrics that say the, the infinite appeared in time and the unquestionable one was questioned yet made no reply. That's specifically referring to um, the mockery at the cross. But to think of who Jesus is, but he is patiently moving through with these moments. He has the ability to curse the fig tree, but he does not curse these people. And it is because he desires to redeem. It is not because they have earned redemption. They have certainly not earned redemption with these childish games. But his love is such that our actions are not the basis of why we are loved. And I think that is an incredible revelation that the reason we receive, we love because he first loved us. Tom, can you pray?